Hey, everybody. So good to be with you. Happy Sunday. Pastor Jake here, and I am joined with my dear friend. I see I can point the right direction. Well, I don't know which way you're looking on the screen, but I think he's that way for what I see, and maybe he's that way for you. But this is my dear friend, Aaron Martinez, and Aaron is the lead pastor of Joy Church in Grants Pass, Oregon. So they are our sister church down uh, two hours south of us in beautiful Grants Pass. And if you go to Grants Pass and visit, please give a lot of money in their offering and take them out to lunch. Well, maybe just give money in the offering and send them a card to Starbucks. How about that? But uh, no, I'm just having fun. But Aaron and Danny have planted Joy Grants Pass a couple years ago. What year did you guys plant? Uh, it was November of 2017. Okay. And uh, Bethany and I have actually, we got to go, I think for one Sunday and it is just a great church. They've raising up some incredible people doing a great job in Grants Pass. But Aaron is also, uh, unbeknownst to many, um, he is also a gentleman and a scholar and he has his master's in Christian philosophy and apologetics. And so for our series that we're going into on worldview, I wanted to pick this smart guy's brain and, uh, and work with him and, and kind of just have a conversation about truth and morality and worldview and let everybody be a part of this conversation. And I, and I really believe it's going to be enriching. So, you know, one of the, the benefits of this whole pandemic shutdown and us doing church online, though we, we want to be together gathered on Sundays, absolutely. But it kind of gives us an opportunity to, to, you know, pull in and ask the expert, right? Get Aaron on the call here. And we've done that with a few different people. So uh, we're blessed uh, to have Aaron here. So welcome, Aaron. Thanks for being with us today. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for having it, having me. We're uh, we're joy church GP. And uh, we, we just, when we grow up as a church, we want to be something like joy church, Eugene. That's our goal. We feel if we've attained that, then, then we've really made it. That's heaven. Yeah. We've really grown up as a church four years in. We're like a snot nosed <laughs> toddler having a team from right now. That's what we are. As no, I'm just kidding. Awesome. I picked the wrong time to take a drink. It was like in the, right after the joke and I was supposed to keep talking and then I'm drinking. So apologies. Yeah, you threw off the rhythm there. Yeah, yeah. We can't have long, awkward silences just because we do in real life between each other. doesn't mean that we should on this interview. Yes, exactly. Aaron and I, our conversations for everybody, typically we just communicate telepathically. So this mm -hmm. is a little difficult for us. Exactly. It's just purely mental uh, waves sending across the mountains from Grants Pass to uh, Eugene. So anyways, all that joking aside and, and fun stuff, we're going to jump in and talk about worldview. And I believe this conversation is going to be encouraging to you and in inspiring. And one of my goals for this series, and I've said this before, is I wanted to see Christians thinking like Christians, you know, going not from a cultural perspective of truth, not, not a social perspective of truth, not a personal perspective of truth, but a biblical scriptural, scriptural foundation of truth. And that's been our goal through this series, War of the Worldview. So just to bring everybody up to speed, if you haven't been checking out this series, we're talking about worldview and worldview is not what you see. It's how you see it. It's the lenses by which you view life and it shapes our, uh, our, our words, our beliefs and our actions. And so we're, we've been talking about this and we've been going through three fundamental questions that every worldview uh, answers either implicitly or explicitly or uh, but that every worldview that has to answer these three questions. What is real? What is the nature of reality? Why is there something rather than nothing? Um, what is true? What is the nature of truth? And how do we determine truth and no truth uh, between, between what is true and false? And then third, and, and the one we'll probably spend more time talking about today, um, is what is right? 
and that that being the the idea of morality and ethics the difference between right and wrong and basically that question of how do we live our life in light of what's real and what's true so every worldview has to answer these three fundamental questions and every worldview does answer these three fundamental questions whether you are a card-carrying follower of jesus and you believe in the Bible and you believe in God and, and that's your, your faith and that's your worldview, or you are an atheist and you say there is no God, you are actually giving an answer to those three questions. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm so excited to have Aaron on here. Um, Aaron, first question for you, and then we'll jump in, into this. Um, what do you see as the importance of worldview um, for just for individuals? You know, why does worldview matter for everybody? Uh, no idea. Next question. <laughs> uh, it's it messed me up because I was going to take a drink and then I had to laugh. <laughs> and do do both at the same time. That's what I do. It's such a big, humongous question. It's so complex. It's so nuanced. Um, That's why I asked it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, worldview. It's it's this kind of thing. I don't know. I get the idea that most people assume that that questions about worldview about the ontological argument, epistemology, and truth, and morality, they're all, they're all kind of so abstract and so theoretical that really the only people who are worried about that kind of concept are guys with like the brown jackets with elbow pads, and they smoke expensive-looking pipes, and they sit in rooms together and guffaw. Life goals. Yeah, <laughs> I say, indubitably. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of uh, in my estimation, um, they can be so abstract and kind of hard to get your mind around, or they can seem displaced from, from everyday life um, that really we don't even sometimes notice w when the rubber meets the road as it, as it concerns our, our philosophy or our, our worldview until it really shows up in kind of our everyday routines. And so as kind of a, a word picture or an illustration, I mean, you guys have been talking about the big three, the ontological, what's real, epistemological, what's true, and then the moral argument, what's right. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we don't, we don't even consider those questions until they're distilled down to that very last one, what's right. And uh, probably most often, especially if you take one five second gander at social media, you see this show up in the realm of politics because that's where everyone is fighting about what's right? What should we do? How should we live? And I think the reason we probably fight about it is because kind of the whole political sphere or the legislative process, you're enforcing what's right on another person. Like it's all okay when everything's abstract, when it's just like, how do I prefer to live? Oh, my truth is my truth and my behavior is my own private deal. But then when someone writes a law that precludes you from doing what you want to do, or, or it forces you to do something you don't want to do, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, let's like march on the Capitol. Let's get our, let's get our pitchforks and torches together. Yep. And so like we all do actually care very, very deeply about these questions. It's just, I think it's just sometimes we don't notice them until someone has gone too far in our perception. And so like what you're saying, um, why, does it, why does it matter? Why does it why does it concern the rank and file person? It's because your beliefs about the answers to these questions dictate literally everything about your life. Um, if your starting point is there is a personal God who has preferences, he likes certain things, he hates certain things, yep. versus your starting point is we're all just an accident, it's just a cosmic mistake, we showed up 
on in this universe for no reason and for no purpose and really human beings have no inherent meaning or value we just kind of ascribe that arbitrarily like your your ideas about about human worth about sexuality about identity about politics about all of human behavior education the economy they're they're they have to be fundamentally different and so um, considering these is not just something for the philosopher. It's not just something for like the, the theologian who's by himself in his study. The answers uh, to what's real and what's true and what's right, they, they literally, they concern every single human being, everyone watching this, everyone who has, uh, has anything to say about humans, how they ought to operate. Um, it matters a great deal. I have a quote here by by C.S. Lewis, which if you want to be right about worldview, just quote C.S. Lewis in, well, our in church, one way or another. Basically, it's kind of an expectation that there will be a C.S. Lewis quote. I, I figured that was the case, so I came prepared. I want, it, I want the record to show that we don't just quote C.S. Lewis because we want to seem to be Christian intellectuals. We were reading C.S. Lewis before it was cool. That's not Yes. Cool. No, we no. Just, we just, Jake, we didn't do anything before it was cool. <laughs> That's actually we were we wore ugly sweaters before it was true or before it was cool but they weren't they were just ugly they weren't cool sweaters that that's true yeah shoot <laughs> hit us uh, with a quote uh c.s lewis um he's talking ab about where like the ontological and epistemological uh, arguments where they kind of uh translate into the moral argument and he says, uh, we're now getting to the point at which different beliefs about the universe lead to different behavior. And, and that's kind of what we're talking about. After you establish what you believe is real, what, what you establish about what you think is, is true, what can be known about the universe, what can be known about humans and human behavior, at some point that, that will, it, it necessarily influences your behavior. It influences what you actually do. He says, religion involves a series of statements about facts, which must be either true or false. If they're true, one set of conclusions will follow about the right sailing of the human fleet. If they are false, quite a different set. And so this has kind of become less popular of late. Um, over the last 40, 50, 60 years, where we've kind of embraced this cultural idea or this educational idea of my truth is mine and yours is yours and it's relative and it doesn't really matter overall it just it just matters if if you're okay with it and what he's saying is that that's wrong that is that religion but not just religion any set of beliefs it it corresponds with reality in a way that is coherent and consistent or or it doesn't and that's a pretty unpopular, uh, unpopular message, but we're seeing what happens um, as a result of that in, in society kind of at large right now. But I'll, I'll let you jump in. No, I mean, that's phenomenal. I, and I think that just that opening salvo of answering this question is really the message in a nutshell. And I, and I want to just repeat it, what Aaron just said, it, not everything he just said, but in a, <laughs> a small way, that what we think about reality, what we think about truth is how we actually live. I think, and I, and that's, that's how we then go out and live our lives. And we, and we do what we determine to be right or wrong. And we get mad or upset at other people when they don't live according to that way. But it's not because we necessarily degree a uh, disagree on the morals. It's because we disagree on the other things. And that leads us down to that, that conclusion there. And I think what you said is so good. Um, and, and I want to highlight that as well, that 
this, these aren't, these aren't questions for philosophers and scholars. You know, they've asked these questions for, for many, many generations and thousands of years since the dawn of time, but they are questions for common people. And the person that pays the, the toll, so to say, or so to speak, uh, pays the price is the guy on the street level for these things that are happening in these high ivory towers and politics and all of that, which we've seen demonstrated in our culture today. But I think for us as followers of Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're part of Joy Church, you're watching this, we can't ignore these questions. We need to know the answer. Like for us as Christians, it says in 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you with meekness and, and fear. Um, we always need to be ready to give an answer to these questions and give an answer for that hope that is within us. And it starts with what is real, what is true. And then that leads down to this level of what is right. So I think what you're saying is, is awesome uh, and really, really helpful. One thing about that C.S. Lewis quote that I find fascinating, and you mentioned this progression over the last period of time, and I would call this the progression from modernism to postmodernism, you know, uh, modernism was like, Hey, we have institutions. They, people would speak in absolutes. We have a, you know, absolute code of, of ethics. And because there was a failure and a lack of integrity in political and social institutions, um, there was the failure of, you know, like Richard Nixon and Watergate. And that's before our time. I mean, we're not that old, but we at least know it from history and people kind of lost faith in the office of the president. You know, they lose faith in that institution. We have scandals, even, even in more recent times, like the, the uh, molestation and abuse scandals in the Catholic church, where people look at this institution that was supposed to be an institution of light and hope and stand for, you know, an anchor in the storm. And yet people were being abused. There was, there was all this kind of stuff. And I think these are not all connected, but they're all connected to this idea of a modern view of, of absolute truth and, and, absolute morals. And then we go into postmodernism, which is the rejection of absolutes in this, in this grabbing hold of relativism. And I'd like us to talk about that because you, I think what happened in our culture is we have, we go, man, institutions failed. You know, people are happy to talk about how the, the church as an institution fails and they're hundred percent right. The church does fail as an institution, but it's like getting the, the symptom right, but missing the prescription and prescribing the wrong medicine. And so postmodernism comes along and says, well, we don't have any absolute truth. And you brought that up. It's my truth, your truth. You know, you get to do what you want to do. I get to do what I want to do. But the reality is people are fighting literally right now in the streets about these questions. So that was a lot. I didn't mean to go on that long, but what are your thoughts about that kind of progression from modernism to postmodernism and how that's impacting us right now in our culture? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. A huge question. Um, I only ask huge questions. That, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, a paragraph of statements and a huge <laughs> question at the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I definitely think that um, the, the division we're seeing and like even fighting and rioting and whatever in the street is because the human machine we actually crave consistency of worldview of thought and we actually crave consistency of morality as well mm -hmm. i mean think of the irony of saying your truth is your own you can believe what you want to believe it, you're not wrong or right but if you don't join this movement with us and declare that we're right we're going to march through the street and burn everything now that's typical of any writing whatsoever this kind of idea of mob rule but 
it's just interesting that you, you can't get away from the fact that he, the human mechanism, the human machine, like we have certain inbuilt traits. And as much as we want to say that we can kind of just exist as our own little universe in and of ourself, um, and everything will be okay, we found out over millennia that it's not okay. It like almost never turns out okay. <laughs> and that's why the answer, this person of Jesus Christ, seems to come out of left field. It seems like it would be, it wouldn't work, it wouldn't be true. And C.S. Lewis talks about that, you know, like that's how the Bible seems. It seems like complex and weird enough, like real true things do. But um, I think what, what you're getting at, um, and kind of this this collapse of during the period of modernism, I mean, the whole philosophical uh, uh, spectrum was kind of filled with how, how do we arrive at absolutes? How do we kind of solve this epistemological riddle of, of having some sort of system of arriving at truth? Mm -hmm. And because different people had warring and conflict about how you arrive at truth, at some point, some philosophers just said, listen, let's just have our own truth. I mean, if we have a purely materialistic world that came from nothing, there's not really any way to arrive at truth in the first place. We can just kind of splinter off and have our own. And then you have this, this idea of postmodernism like you're talking about, where we kind of just eschew all of the, um, all of the ideas from the modernist, rationalist thought where, where there's such a thing as an absolute. And whether, whether you wanted to or not, whether it was your preference or not, you still had to give way and agree that something was true or false because there was a system for verifying which is which. Yeah. And uh, believe it or not, Nietzsche was one of the ones who really keyed in on this very, very early in his uh, parable of a madman. You know, he writes mm -hmm. uh, kind of symbolically or parabolically of himself coming into the village that is contain contains only kind of materialistic um, atheist uh, people. And, and he, he has this this parable where he says, you know, we, God is dead. We've killed him. And, and almost everyone has heard the phrase, God is dead, but we've killed him. We're murderers. Look what we've done. And really Nietzsche is, he's, he's trying to point out the fact that if we really do just do away with a, 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 a coherent system of truth, if we just untether truth from the moorings of this kind of absolute uh, God or eternal uh, truth maker, if you will, then all we're left with is really this void, this vacuum where we we are just kind of ships sailing through space, looking for a new sun, looking for uh, the uh, a new light that will actually um, give us some kind of surety, give us some sort of validation for um, assuming something or, or or determining whether something is true or can be true or whether it's false. And so, it's it's a sad picture because Nietzsche is saying to all of his atheistic uh, uh, buddies at the time, like, hey, guys, watch out, because if we, if we cut ties, if we really do say, you know what, because due to the enlightenment and due to this new uh, mode of thinking, um, we can just kind of cut ties with all of our Christian heritage and all of these ideas about morality and about who we are as humans and about worth and about all of these kind of big questions. If we cut ties with that, we, we're not really gaining a big, huge sense of freedom. We're gaining a loss of a lot of things that we've taken for granted. And all of a sudden, we are going to reap um, a long period of where each person can kind of just make up their own little universe. And it's not going to become better. It's going to become much, much worse. And 
the the saddest part about the whole story story is that Nietzsche Nietzsche act, ended up um, in, in an insane asylum in a mental institution himself. He became the madman that he he wrote about parabolically, and um, and towards the end of his life, he actually would would mutter um, Christian verses uh, from from the Bible under his breath just repeatedly all day long. I mean, he, he literally became the madman that he, that he wrote about, which in my estimation is it's the necessary conclusion. Yeah. You, you, ca- you can't take a human being that obviously in our worldview is, is constructed after the person of God himself. It's the human machine is, is meant to run on a certain mode of thought, a certain worldview. And when you take all of that out, when you, when you, repeatedly teach especially kids and and uh, young people all throughout their life that they're an accident that they came from nowhere that they're going nowhere that they have no worth that they have no value that really they're just and i mean to be a little controversial since i'm not technically preaching i'm just interviewing so i'll yeah. just be a little controversial and then let you me take the heat yeah aaron's going to be responsible for these statements and then you take away all of the framework of even scientific things like you are a gender Right. Right. Like, so hopefully we don't get banned for that, but we'll just leave that out there. Like we've taken away things like the, just the, the, the right of life, that life is preferable to non-life. And we've divorced reality so heavily from these, even just basic bare scientific factual realities. uh, What you're talking about is this descent into madness, which has been, Nietzsche talked about it from the atheistic side. Francis Schaeffer in the 70s and 80s was, was talking about the fact, Bethany and I were just having this conversation, that science would be used as a political weapon in the 21st century uh, because of these things. Because when you get away from absolutes and you get away from a standard of truth and this way of thinking and you embrace post-modernity and you say there is no truth, like Pilate, what is truth? And we throw it aside and we don't care. You end up then losing the ability to have rational, reasonable, discourse not just in in an intellectual or logical side but even in a scientific way where it should be empirical and simply based on facts but it's not it now becomes politically motivated which i think we're all upset because nobody can find out how worried we really should be about what we're going through yeah false news like it's every piece of news coming at you is uh it's always been biased so people that say news is biased now it's always been biased if a human says something it's biased and you can't get away from that but literally now it's being turned into propaganda and I'm not picking on one side or the other here. Um, Like there is no fair ground or fair fight because it's all, all being used uh, with it's unmoored and therefore there's nothing that, that holds it anchored to the ground. Uh, So I think what you're saying is, is incredible. And that's absolutely terrifying about Nietzsche and what, what you're describing is so true. It reminds me of in Isaiah 59, we've gone through this verse and I think this verse is basically a prophetic picture of our, t- our day and age um, and, a, and a place where, where we have to, as Christians, look into minister. It says in Isaiah 59, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So Isaiah is giving a prophetic picture both of the time and place he was living in in ancient Israel and, and the exile period and all of that. But he's also prophetically looking forward to what happens when truth falls in the street. You know, when we beat truth down into the street, which Aaron and I were talking about this previously, it's, it's so ironic that we literally have people being beaten in the streets right now. And I don't mean 
I don't say that to say, oh, I'm against one side or the other. That's a different discussion. But literally in our culture and the news right now, there are people being beaten down into the streets. So we know what that looks like, blood in the streets, you know, fighting. Isaiah is talking about this, though, that truth is getting beaten down in the street. And what that ends up happening is that then justice, which stands for morality and righteousness, it can't come in um, because the truth thing has just been blown up. So powerful stuff. Any thoughts on that? Oh, it's, yeah, I mean, without getting too far out into the weeds politically, um, I mean, it, it feels like most people are surprised. Like, how how can we have devolved to this point where, um, you know, what whatever the group happens to be, um, yeah. if, if we don't like your message, if we don't like your standpoint, um, it's like, it, it, it's, it's completely justified to just completely beat people, mob rule, violence, etc. But it's, it, it shouldn't be unexpected. It should be like the most kind of expected thing because the cycle of history has shown that your answers to these questions that we're talking about, they, they have to result in a mode of behavior and they always have and they always will. It, it's the, just the fallenness of humankind um, our, our pride, our hubris, whatever, we, we assume that we're right. We assume that we should and can impose on others what we believe to be the truth. And so you can look throughout history and see that over and over and over again. It's not, it's yeah. not an odd thing. And, and even when God is talking, I, I think in Amos, when he's talking about, uh, talk about the nation of Israel, he's saying, you guys have this kind of like form of religion. You have this form of uh, festivals and sacrifice and whatever. And he's like, I hate all that. I hate all your festivals. I hate all your sacrifices. What I want is, a, to, is justice to flow. I want things to be right. I want, I want you to structure your nation civically. I want you to structure your laws to make things fair for people. And obviously that argument is front and center right now. And different people have different ideas about what that should look like. Um, but your, your worldview, it has to come to bear on, on your behavior, your everyday habits, routines, your politics and everything. If there's, there's no getting around it. There's, it's kind of a, the myth of neutrality is that we can, any of us can ever sit it out for very long. Yeah, that's so good. I want to tell everybody too, Aaron and I are not purposely trying to be controversial by talking about hot button issues and protesting. Like, I think that, that the church needs to speak into these issues because this is literally biblical truth and Christian thought and worldview. And like what we're talking about is these questions matter. And when you connect the dots, you can't, it has to be controversial and it always has been and always will be because this is where the battle takes place. That's why this series is called war of the worldviews. And I think Aaron made a statement that when you believe something is true, you can not, you can't do anything other than try to tell other people that that's what's true. And that's why these worldview, why worldviews are so important. And that's why for us as followers of Jesus, when Jesus begins to illuminate your life and your heart, and we've talked about this, so I want you to go back and watch all the messages. Don't, do not, you don't, you dare take just this one talk and go, oh, that, that's the whole thing. There's so much uh, uh, of, of what is to be said. We could never cover everything in this like 30 minute conversation. We try because we try to talk fast and fit it in, but it doesn't work. We wave our hands a lot too. Yeah, we wave them, you know, just <laughs> jazz hands or whatever we have moved. But if you go back into the whole series, we've talked about so much that it's being, knowing what's right and being a Christian doesn't mean you, you are right. Like even last week I said, um, knowing what is right 
doesn't make you righteous any more than someone staring at the moon is an astronaut. It, you, in both cases, you need a lot of help to get there. You know, we need the righteousness of Christ. And so we're not speaking from a posture of arrogance, at least we're not attempting to. Um, we're trying to speak from a posture of humility, not that we have all the right answers for the world, because I certainly don't. Aaron might have them, but I, I personally don't. Um, but, we're, but, but what we're trying to do is point people to the fact that these questions absolutely matter and that we have found that the Christian worldview gives an expl- um, proper explanatory power. It answers these questions. When you say, what is real? Well, there is a God, and we accept that fact axiomatically. It's a presupposition because in the light of God's existence is how we see everything. What is true? Well, we believe that God not only exists, but he is not silent. He speaks into human history. He speaks through the scripture, and he spoke through his prophets, and he spoke ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ, and that we know truth propositionally through scripture and personally through a relationship with Jesus. And in that interchange, there's something dynamic that leads us to that third question, what is right? The answer that Jesus himself gave is there's no one good but God. We all fall short of the standard of righteousness and morality um, that, that God is and that God provided. But even though we fall short, we can still see it. And I think what we're trying to explain is even culturally and socially, there is destruction, there is death in the streets, justice falls because we're abandoning and walking away from what God would establish. And my heart, you know, as the pastor of Joy Church, and I think Aaron could probably say the same for Joy Grant's past, my heart is not to change your politics or change your, um, you know, I, I just want everybody to agree with my politics because they're 100% correct, but no, I'm just teasing. But my heart is not to change your politics. My heart is to, for you to fall really, really in love with Jesus and pursue his truth and pursue him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because he's going to help all of us become more like him. And that's the goal. And really, when we get to that level, that's where worldview, when it's so bad and like we talked about madness and Nietzsche and all this stuff, that, that side of things, um, when you know Christ, you, you, you have hope and you have life and you have an answer and an anchor to hold on to. Like Jesus himself said, I, you can build your, your life on his teachings. It's like the man who builds his, his house on the rock. You have something solid under your feet. So that's what we're trying to, to convey in this. And I hope that comes through. So Aaron, um, just as one last kind of quick question and we'll, we'll wrap up here today, but, um, let's just talk about as followers of Jesus, how do we engage, uh, you know, because I think right now you mentioned it, it's, it's just, there's a lot of toxicity. And I, you know, I talked about this in the message recently where I said, guys, we got to, as Christians, we need to love each other. Like we can't be saying you're not a Christian if you don't vote for the person I want to vote for or whatever. So how do we engage in a healthy way in light of this conversation as followers of Jesus? What are some thoughts you have on that? I'm really glad that you asked that because like there's never been an easier time to be divided. There's, I mean, at least for me, I know that everyone thinks that their personal situation is always the worst, you know, their generation is the worst, et cetera. Um, but it's just, it's very easy to be divided and it's very easy to be heard, you know, cause we can all just scattergun everyone on social media and lots of people do. Um, I think what you're saying is absolutely great. Like we, you haven't won if, if you just have proven to yourself that the other person is wrong. Like that's that. Sure, uh, maybe it's it's good to like have clear parameters about what you believe, 
But that's not really what you're called to do as a Christian. What you're called to do as a Christian is to go the extra mile to be humble enough to be in someone's life, in someone's world, that maybe you hate what they believe. <laughs> maybe you can't stand their political stance. Maybe you can't kind of stand the things that they embrace or, or stand for. But, I mean, we have this picture of Jesus on the cross. He's being crucified by people who don't deserve him, by people who are not good enough, like by definition are not good enough to deserve the person that he was and is. And he's saying, God, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. And so, I mean, for us, I think lots of times it's really easy to kind of let our Christianity and, uh, and Americanism kind of overlap a little bit too much. And we think I'm given certain rights. And if someone else wants to trample those or they, I think they're wrong, whether it has to do with their beliefs about God or their beliefs about America or freedom or whatever politically it happens to be, um, I, I'm allowed to just kind of stake my claim, draw that border, and then you're, you're out, shun, unshun. You got Dwight Schrute, you know? You know, and, and I'm justified doing that. And, you know, I'm, I'm okay doing that. And all I have to do is kind of launch grenades over onto that side and kind of some truth bombs about how they're wrong. Well, I think we all know that lobbying truth bombs, it, 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 doesn't, really, it doesn't really do much for ourselves or for the other person. Yeah, it just feels good in the, only in that moment, yeah. Yeah, and so, okay, you've proven where you stand. Well, maybe that's a good first step. But um, I, I really, at the end of the day, believe that all of our arguments and all of our polished words and anything that we can say to somebody as a defense of our worldview, it's the first step, you know, and it helps to knock down obstacles yeah. um, against faith and against God. But at the end of the day, someone has to say yes to God themselves. And when the Spirit of God comes in and changes somebody from the inside out. That's the work that we can prepare for. Paul talks about that. He says, you know, Apollos uh, planted seed and I watered, but God gave the increase or however he says it. Like, sure, um, we can do whatever we can do as a human, um, but really it's God that has to change things. Um, but that's not to say that Paul and Apollos didn't do their job. Like we have a job to do. And really the only way that I can speak words of life into someone's Life is if I'm close enough and trusted enough and loving and humble enough to say, I'm not just going to prove you wrong and prove how you have to believe that my worldview is better than yours and then everything will work out. Um, I, I have to work my way into someone's life by actually demonstrating the love of Jesus to them yeah. so that at some point they'll open their heart and say yes to God. Not yes to Aaron's arguments, yes to God, and really let God bring the increase the way that only he can. And so I have to be humble enough. I have to be willing enough to roll up my sleeves and to get into someone's life in a way that says, even if I hate what you stand for, even if I hate your arguments, even if I think that everything you do is wrong, I am going to flat love you as a person. Even if you always choose the thing that I think is wrong, I'm always going to love you as a person. I'll, I'll confront you and, and we, can, we can talk about real stuff, but I'm always going to love you in the way that, that will will hopefully knock down some objections and really let you say yes to the person of Jesus Christ so that he can come in and do what it is that he does. It's really good. Good stuff. Well, I'm convicted and I'm going to respond to this message. You know, I want, yes, Lord, I, 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 uh, I want to respond to that. I love that. You know, I think in a previous message that I spoke on, I just said, 
we need to stop trying to push people to our opinions and our getting, you know, so that they see we're right and start introducing people to Jesus. And I I love what you said. I mean, people aren't going to listen and you really don't have any platform to speak until they can see that you love them. So we've got to love people enough that they will listen. And I think just loving people in that self-sacrificial over the top way, even when you don't agree with them is really what true Christian tolerance is about. We're not canceling or cutting people out that we disagree with. We're saying, man, even if I despise your perspectives, I'm going to love you and allow you to be in my life um, because I want you to feel the heart of God and the heart of Christ for you. And that is what creates those bridges and opportunities for the gospel. So that's phenomenal stuff, Aaron. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, everybody can in the comments here on Facebook, um, give them some love and send those Starbucks cards and, you know, whatever you need to do. But um, as we get ready to close up here today, I just want to give anybody that's here an opportunity. If you're watching this live, if you're watching this on replay, this has been a deep conversation, a philosophical conversation. We might've used some words, well, Aaron, especially, you know, like words like ontological and epistemological that maybe you're like, I, I don't know exactly what that means. That's fine. You know, we want to be stretched and, and grow in our, our knowledge and understanding but maybe you're here and you're like, okay, I'm, I, I want to follow Jesus. Like I don't maybe grasp all of this, but I know that there's something wrong inside of me and the problems in the world, I sort of see as like a magnified thing of what's going on in the, in the chaos of my heart. And the answer for you is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And that this right now can be the beginning of a wonderful journey of becoming a follower of Jesus and being part of the family of God. So if that's you today, what I want to ask you to do is just pray along with me. You don't even have to repeat my words, but just agree with this prayer, pray this prayer for yourself and just put in a sincere way, your hope, your faith, your trust in Jesus and give him your life. And again, this is the start of a journey. It's not the end of it. It's not like I pray this prayer and I just go do what I want to do. No, if you really want to follow Jesus, this is like a a marking moment. And if you call upon his name, the Bible says that, that he's going to save you but it's the beginning of a journey of discipleship. So if that's you, just pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your perfect standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with God. I embrace your mercy today. I receive your grace and I give you my life. I pray that you would help me to follow you for every day of my life and serve you as you have served me, I receive you as my Lord and savior. And I put my faith and trust in you today and in you alone in Jesus name. Amen. Awesome. Well, you guys, uh, it's been so good being together and, uh, just two small steps. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to fill out, um, a little card. You just text the word. All you have to do is text the word decided to the number that is on the screen right now. And if you'll text that, that word decided, we're going to get in touch with you and we won't spam you. We're not going to sell your data somewhere. We're just going to get in touch with you and help you get uh, connected to Jesus and connected to the church and take the next steps on this journey. So please just take that small step of faith. If you want to get more connected to the church, you can do both of these things. But if you're somebody, you didn't make that decision to follow Jesus today, but you want to get plugged in at Joy Church, please send the word home, text the word home to that same number. We're going to put it on the screen right now. And we're going to follow up with you and help you get connected to this awesome church family. So guys, that's it. You're going to go to joyeugene.com slash live, jump into your connect groups right after service. It's been such a great time having you here, Aaron. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for having me. We need to do like a cool exit. Can we like disappear out of the...
screen. I'm not sure what we need to do, but we'll just lean too far. We're going to do that wave and kind of fade away. (laughs) Bye everybody. Have a great week.